Hello, welcome to another episode of Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. Let's get right to it. Today, I have a woman named Lisa Antonekia. You haven't heard of her, probably. She lives in Connecticut. I know her because she directed me in the Tommy musical when I was living in Boston. I was Uncle Ernie. Um, but she's such a fascinating person because she's been a performer all her life and transitioned from being a cheerleader and baton twirler to a graduate of the Boston Conservatory to a performer to a director and then has found herself a wedding planner and organizer using the skills that she learned as a performer and organizing as a director and she's been doing great at it every year doing better and better until this COVID thing happened and because of the mismanagement here in the united states businesses really suffered she's a woman who runs her own business which hard enough without a pandemic and without a government that doesn't really care about the people so we're going to talk to her about what that's like what her journey has been and uh, if you're on a journey and you want to make sure you are not hungry bring along Abe's muffins. They are <clears throat> allergen friendly, school friendly, kid friendly. I love them. They come in so many different flavors. They also have coffee cake and cornbread and brownie. Just check out Abe's muffins, trust me. You're gonna love meeting Lisa Antonekia. She's a ball of energy and brilliance and I just love her. So I'm just gonna introduce her to you. So check out this interview. Antonekia, I can't believe I'm saying it, but hi, welcome to Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I am so excited to be on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. <laughs> this is tremendous. I mean that in all the, all the sincerity in the world. That's fantastic. And um, as I say in the intro, or as I talk a little bit about it, but I have known you. It's funny because we've had a little bit of a gap. We kind of disappeared from each other's lives. Yes. But I, I don't remember the year you directed me. I was Uncle Ernie in a production of Tommy the Musical. Yes. At, in the Boston area and w at least 10 or 15 years ago, right? Maybe oh more. my gosh, I've been in Connecticut 14 years. So it was at least a year before that. So at least 15 years ago. Right. And I had the time of my life in that show partly because I love playing villains and it, partly you were exceptional not gonna <laughs> lie exceptional you're you're very sweet I really appreciate it um singing uh the who's music is just an amazing opportunity and uh we both worked with just some amazing people in that show um the only person I'm really still in contact with off the top of my head is Linda Getz, who was sort of my stage wife, I never see her anymore, and I'd love to have her on, and I'd love to hug her, because she is a fantastically talented, brilliant, um, just an amazing soul, and I will cry if I start to think about her too hard. And this is about you, but we both agree, right? Linda Getz is amazing. I, I agree, and, and you know, one of the things about doing that style theater, which you know, would be considered non-equity theater is the life stories of these people are are tremendous because they work full-time jobs and they're not willing to give up their passion for the performing arts. So when you get to know them and you get to hear all the crazy, amazing stories about their lives, it just makes it all the more interesting behind the scenes for all of us. Yours might be the last non-equity thing I did. I'm not, I'm not sure, but... Um... I transitioned from that sort of community to sort of semi-pro to full-out equity. Um, also, there's a woman named Shauna McKern, and her last name may have changed. Shauna, who was in that with her then boyfriend, and now she's with somebody else and married, and yes. she's a brilliantly talented person also. Her voice is to die for. She's uh, got 
incredibly strong voice. And great, I should have her on too. Yeah. I, she's really into tattoos and has quite a few. Uh, <laughs> but I'll let her talk about that herself. Let's okay. So that's when I first met you was yes. when you directed. So you um, cast and directed me in that show, and <clears throat> you, however have a long history of being creative. I've seen pictures of you, I'm gonna guess at eight years old, maybe younger, looking like a star-spangled tap dancer. So let's go back, 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 back and talk about your early life. So where were you born? Where were you, where'd you grow up? Let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so I was born in Mount Kisco, which is in Westchester County, New York. Um, my mom is originally from Long Island, New York, and my father was from Westchester. Where in the island is she from? My mom is from Merrick. <laughs> I'm from Massapequa Park. Stop it. For real. So, so you, will, you will appreciate this. Growing up, my mom, you know, I was raised in Westchester in a town called Katona. Oh, um, yeah which is very um, well known and a lot of high-end celebrities live in that neck of the woods. Mariah Carey lived there when she was married to Tommy Mottola. Correct. And there's some weird story about my father, who was an, who's an attorney, um, was somehow involved in a lawsuit between Mariah Carey and a neighbor because they had a shooting range in their backyard. So some weird six degree of separation between my family and Mariah Carey. I don't know what it is. I mean, um, if we asked Mariah, would she just post a video saying, I don't know her? Right. <laughs> I'm sure. Keep in mind, I was like five years old when all this happened, but it happened. Uh, so, got it. Yeah, so, but my mom used to say, as I was growing up, I would have had more fun growing up on Long Island. Um, because she remembers being a kid and being out on the water all the time. And there was just more opportunities to get into childhood trouble of the good kind, you know, so, um, that, I'm that older than you, so I'm not sure what it would have been like for you. And I'm not asking your age, but I'm going to be 59 in November. And, um, I grew up at a time well, I grew up in the neighborhood that Seinfeld and Alec Baldwin sort of grew up in. And it was a time, and maybe you were of this time too, where you just, your parents sent you out of the house, like get out of the house. You had a bicycle, which was your most prized possession. In my case, it was a three-speed Stingray by a company called Rollfast, which probably doesn't exist anymore. People had Schwinn's also, those were the two big ones. Yes. And you just rode around, you had your, your glove um, on the bike somehow. And you all met and played softball somewhere or stickball um, or you somehow beat each other up or did something. You pulled your money together, got some pizza or hot dog, whatever you did, you had to be right. back when the streetlights came back on. And that was it. Right. There was so, no cell phone. Your parents didn't check on no. you. And frankly, they didn't want to. <laughs> right. And. So you've got, I'm 49, and yet we still did that. You had your bicycle, and you knew there were one or two streets you weren't allowed on because there was too much car traffic, so you stayed off those. But I, to this day, I have scars all over my legs, <laughs> over my handlebars doing something stupid, and you didn't have helmets then. There was, you know, or, or knee pads or, you know, or shin guards. You just flew off your handlebars. And we also used to try to outdo each other climbing trees, which uh, I'm honestly afraid of heights, but I'm highly competitive. So, and, and still to this day, highly competitive. So if someone got higher than me, I was gonna get higher than them regardless. You know? And by the way, you're like four feet tall and I, probably I were short. Five foot one, I have not started shrinking yet. <laughs> It's, it's inevitable, but it hasn't started yet. Well, I'm 6'3", yeah, so you seem a little shorter to yes, me. Yes, which is why I like standing next to you, because it's comic relief mm -hmm. that nothing else, just standing side by side. So Also, yeah. having you tell me what to do in front of other actors, you know, must be fun for you. I, I, I do enjoy getting to tell very large men what to do any chance I get. 
So. Wow. Well, we can talk <laughs> about that later too. I will. I, I have no secrets. I have no secrets. But, um, but you know, you you mentioned my little dance costumes, and you know, my mom put me into dance at the age of three, and I was taking tap, jazz, and ballet at the age of three. Um, and believe it or not, baton twirling, which was an even bigger claim to fame for me because I went on to be a national and world champion in baton twirling. And uh, it's odd how baton twirling comes up in my life still to this day. I've actually twirled for clients' weddings at this point in my life. I've done all sorts of funny things. So it's the gift that keeps on giving. I'll go with that. So well, The only time that I can, as soon as you say that, I flash, of course, on on pictures of long ago of like Rose Bowls and halftime <laughs> things, but also in a video of the song Tusk by Fleetwood Mac. Um, uh, oh my God, what's her name? Stevie Nicks. Stevie Nicks marches with the USC marching band um, and she's sort of half, you know, light witch and half baton twirling high school kid <laughs> in this video. Um, Stevie Nicks fans, you can feel free to write me at isthatreallylegal.com, go to my website, and there's a place to talk about what are your impressions of Stevie Nicks as a baton twirler, or anybody else who remembers baton there twirling. There you go. My yeah. sister did it, and I remember having one baton in the house, which had, it was like this, it, it was a similar material to like handlebars on a bike, in my memory, and this may have been a specific type of baton, one end had a very small rubber tip and one end had a fatter rubber tip. Both were sort of like rubber tips you might have to keep a metal chair from marking up your floor or skidding. That's my memory. Yes. It may yeah, be inaccurate. I've, I've, I've literally got one three feet away from me while we're talking. We're, you know, this is not a video uh, podcast, yes. so people um can use their imaginations yeah but uh, i've got uh, them all over my house because not only do i have flashbacks and have to twirl from time to time just to do it but i figure it's an amazing weapon should someone get into my house <laughs> because you can't keep up with me but you know my my goal in life was always to be a feature twirler at a big 10 college mm. and and march in front of those massive bands and do halftime shows and I gave that all up to go to the Boston Conservatory and be a triple major in musical theater instead and they clearly did not have sports nor a marching band. <laughs> well I'll say first of all I'll say we're all the lesser for it to a degree but um, I was also going to say your voice could be a weapon because or you know you have a stage voice you have a big voice Yes. Um, you can be heard. And yes. so God help anyone who would try to do anything. <laughs> the alarm would be sounded and you'd be heard throughout Connecticut, yes. possibly down to New York and New Jersey. Um, and that's a good thing, especially for a theater person. I, that's great. I want to talk a little bit about Boston Conservatories, as people in the know call it BOCO. Um, I knew a lot of people who went to Boco, who graduated there, have had really interesting lives. Um, and I also, uh, I worked with one of the music directors there, Todd, I'm blanking on his last name. He was the music director for Into the Woods at the New Rep. And I used him as my own vocal coach for many mm -hmm, years. Mm -hmm. um, Todd, oh my God, Gordon, is it possibly Todd Gordon? Maybe, maybe. Um, a, a really familiar. brilliant musician, a lovely man. Um, and there, you know, there have been amazing people who uh, went through Boston Conservatory. There was a little bit of a hubbub, kerfuffle. Mm -hmm. uh, a good friend of mine who graduated from there talked about uh, an individual who was a teacher there who was not uh, very professional. It led to a lot of conversation. That's not what this show is about. <laughs> but I did in a, but I would like to point out, look, you're a young woman. You're going through um, an arts experience at a conservatory. Mm. Um, you know, a lot of people make assumptions that uh, all the men who teach or go through there 
are not interested in women. Um, and that's not accurate. But correct, right. Yep. Yeah. People have that assumption. And as a result, I think what has been shown through this individual's experience and conversation is that uh, a lot of young and experienced women who are looking for a little male attention sometimes get more than they're bar they bargained for or who aren't looking for male attention i'm not i'm not saying that anyone is looking for it. please don't misunderstand but, me yeah no um, i mean i to your point eric i think you know i'm very proud that i went to the boston conservatory it was four brutally difficult years um you when you go to a conservatory your classes typically start at eight in the morning they end around six at night and then you have scene study for the next day or you're learning a new piece of music for the next day it's never ending and for me i was working three different jobs to help pay for college so i was working waiting tables um as a singing waitress all over boston um and you know getting home at like two in the morning and then my worst job ever was flipping pancakes in the boston conservatory um, cafeteria at five in the morning for people that really were not eating anything because their teachers were telling them they were too heavy so no one was eating but I was All still right. there having pancakes yeah but to that end the conservatory has gone through a world of changes since I was there I graduated in 1993 and I can honestly say I know what good came out of that program for me personally, and I know what bad came out of that program for me personally. And a lot of it had to do with self-doubt, self, you know, when you're in a program like that, you are competing 24 hours a day with the people around you. It was not meant to bring camaraderie. It was meant to weed out the weak or the less talented. And so we started, this is a true story, we started as freshmen with 68 people in our class and we graduated 11 on graduation day. Holy crap, that's like Navy SEAL numbers. That it's is like exa exactly, <laughs> and probably as brutally mentally incapacitating as becoming a Navy SEAL. But so for that, I'm extremely proud. I would love to be a fly on the wall there today knowing what professors are no longer there, what professors are there, and the great new administration that's been put into place. And also very cool and interesting, they've been basically bought up by Berkeley College of Music, which they had been discussing even when I was a student back in 89. So that's how long this whole process took to become real. And um, so I'd be very interested to be a fly on the wall and see how the conservatory has changed its processes. Wow. Um, you know, I, I, I graduated from there. Yeah, that's I, as you should be. As I said, there are people I know who are on Broadway right now, or well, okay. no one's on Broadway yeah. now, but we're right, on right, Broadway. Right. Or they're more singing in the center of Times Square right now, <laughs> but it's the same people. It's true. Yeah. <laughs> right. They're living in a story of praying uh, <laughs> that this craziness will be over. Um, yes. Yeah, and you know, Berkeley School of Music with on Mass Ave, uh, which I sang at uh, in something called the Harmony Sweepstakes with my professional a cappella group. Um, and people who don't know, the Berkeley School of Music has nothing to do with UCAL Berkeley, where my wife graduated, I won't say what year, uh, one of her three degrees. Uh, always marry up if you can, folks. Always <laughs> if you can. Uh, I sure as hell did this time. Um, <laughs> it's another story for my own episode of a podcast. I have to find someone to interview me. That'll be interesting. But I digress. So, um, you know, Boston, ev everybody thinks, oh, yeah, it's a big college town. But they don't even know. They don't even know how many colleges are in Boston. They know, of course, MIT, Harvard, Radcliffe, um, you know, BU, BC. But they don't know like Regis or Boston Conservatory or Emerson, literally around the corner from where you yes. went, right? Yes. Emerson, which has another great arts program. And, and was one of the fastest growing colleges in the country when I was up there. It was incredible. Right. And, and we're not naming literally half of them. There's like Simmons. There's these Simmons, small schools. Emmanuel, 
There's, uh, you know, the, um, uh, the ICA, there's all these little tiny, tiny colleges that are all over Boston. And some of them have specializing programs and some of them are more general studies. It's really, it's really remarkable to see what's on in that city on a daily basis. Yeah, I, I, you know, I spent 20 years living in the Boston uh, area and uh, really got to enjoy it. I think what's, what's interesting is I enjoy it more now when I visit. You know, when you get to live in a place, um, sometimes you don't see it, you, you know? And now that I I'm never, back- I never got to the Prudent, I never got to the top of the Prue for dinner. <laughs> And and, it, and and the restaurant just closed. I, I missed it. I, I uh, lived there for almost 20 years, and I never had dinner at the top of the Prue. Like, that's horrifying to me. You know, and, well, I, you know. I, I, when I left New York, uh, I left New York. I lived in Philly for a while. Then I lived in Boston. I was so excited to come back, and I've really taken advantage pre-pandemic of living in Brooklyn and working in New York. Uh, and I'm excited to get back to it when the pandemic restrictions are over, which will require uh, us getting rid of the current president administration. I'm saying it, it's my podcast. Everybody vote, <laughs> go and wear a goddamn mask, okay? All right, let's get back to you, Lisa Antonikia. Um, yeah. So you grew, you grew up, I'm guessing your father's side was Greek. No, we, um, my dad's side was the Italian side. Antonecchia is Italian. I had no idea. I thought Greek. No. So um, I am 54.9% Italian, according to Ancestry.com. <laughs> then I am 24.3% Ashkenazi Jew. Yes. Thank you. And that's my from people. my mom's. That's my, that's the Long Island Jews coming. Shocking, from, shocking that it's shocking, from right? America. And, and the rest of it is a big mutt fest. I've got pieces of everything in the world. So, so I definitely, um, growing up, you know, the joke was always as a child, I went to a temple for daycare because back then they didn't have like designated daycare centers. You went to a church. So I Same went, here. I went to a temple yeah. too. Absolutely. So in the morning, I was at Temple Beth Shalom in Mayapak, New York. And then in the afternoon, believe it or not, they would drop me off at the Baptist Church in Katona, New York. And because they had afternoon daycare. And then in the evening, I was doing CCD for the Catholic side. So I grew up seeing all of the above. And um, it, it's always, again, I had a really great childhood in that I was surrounded by every religion possible. And as a child, being in theater, dance, and acting, I was surrounded by the LGBTQ community before anybody even talked about the LGBTQ community. So I grew up just thinking everybody was everybody and leave everybody alone and just do your thing. And so I'm always very confused by all of the anger, hatred, and inability to accept people, which is a whole tangent I just took us on. But it is, um, you know, growing up, I was very fortunate that my mom was an artist, my grandmother was an artist. So I was always just surrounded by great, fabulous people. And, and that was wonderful. And I, I love it. I feel like... None of it mattered. You know, it's interesting. I did a 23 Me. And I was hoping I'd find some mystery. I've talked about this before. I am 99.4% Ashkenazi Jew. Like the dove, <laughs> the dove bar of Ashkenazi Jews. Uh, and then the rest is a little bit of Northern Africa, which I think was probably, you know, my people in Egypt kind of, somebody got shoved. And that's yes. the deal. Well, uh, we all, I've uh, got a little like um, Easter, I've got Asian in me. And I'm like, that's like a 0.2% something of some Asian background. And I'm like, yeah, of course, they all came across the world and they were all shooping along the way. So it just, who'd you pick up along the way? That was it. And especially if any of your Italian folks uh, in the past have anything to do with Sicily, everyone went through Sicily. So <laughs> Sicily is like, seriously, I've been to Sicily amazing. I ate my way through Sicily, by the way, and that's what you need to do. 
Um, yes. But some people in the past stripped their way through Sicily yes. as well as eating. Um, I want to go nothing back. No, no, absolutely nothing wrong with either of those things as long yes. as it's consenting. Don't eat yes. somebody else's food and don't strip <laughs> until everybody says it's okay. Um, I want to, yeah, all right, sure. And like, uh, you know, write to is that really legal.com, go on the website and you can leave me a message about how inappropriate I am. You wouldn't be the first, and you certainly won't be the last. Um, and Lisa knows this. Um, so, you know, back in my day, 10 years before you, there was no gay student alliance. And if you, you know, if you liked boys or you liked both boys and girls, or you weren't sure what your deal was, I, you know, I played cello. So I was just automatically labeled as a uh, very enlightened term faggot and shoved into lockers. Um, I did have a high school girlfriend. Look, I, I, I've been out about the fact that I've dated all kinds of people. All right, I'll just leave. The kids today call it being pansexual. Back in my, I, I haven't even heard that term. I've just yeah. heard the term. I have in, no idea. In my day, it was uh, first. It was um, pervert, <laughs> and then and then it was bi or bicurious, and like now it's just. All right, again, people are gonna write to me. I hope, maybe, if you're not listening, you're not gonna write to me. Um, but it, uh, the, the thing about all of this is it's great that you had that experience, but you know, when I was in law school in New York City in the 80s, uh, AIDS killed friends and people that everybody knew. Um, and uh, not only was it a political issue and a gay rights issue, and the human rights issue. Um, but I think it forced people to really confront like who is like, after everybody got over being terrified, um, it was really important for people to see like, oh my God, my mailman is gay. Or uh, you know, obviously the guy who does my hair is gay. Oh, <laughs> uh, but or my makeup. But <laughs> maybe maybe, maybe yeah. I know. I'm I am uh I'm uh, I'm creating more stereotypes here, going on, but <laughs> but let you know. But come on, I live in New York City. Yeah, the guy yes, who does your hair yes. is gay, um, most likely. But uh, maybe your veterinarian is, or and then it became a who really cares, right? You right. know, it's like, um, and I think there was a a nice time when we all sort of many of us banded together, found and either found our tribe or didn't care about a tribe. And right. then it became much more tribal recently, or we became more aware of it being tribal recently. Because I have to tell you, during the quote-unquote Obama years, and during my time doing theater, <coughs> and maybe because I'm sheltered, because I've always lived on the East Coast, I sort of felt like people eventually were like, who just, who cares? You know, right. I don't care who you sleep with, just as long as everybody's of age and consenting, I don't care. Right, right. Right, but right. I'm uh, I'm sort of shocked that this all still is an issue for people. And then you see people coming out very late in life who were anti-gay or you know preachers or other you know righteous people who then come out as like, oh yeah, I have a cabana boy, or I right, right. I just well, like. Yeah, what do you think of all that craziness? I, well, I, you know, skipping skipping a little bit ahead in my life course, you know, when I I moved from Boston to take a job here in Connecticut in theater, um, ended up disliking the job immensely, but I had bought a home here in Connecticut, and I have the best timing ever because I bought it literally the week the real estate market tanked. And I will never be able to sell this home and make it what I hate <laughs> on it. So it's, it's, you know, again, my, you know, just one of the many wonderful things in my life. But what it did do was it started me on a new career path. Um, so I went from being in the arts and creating theatrical productions to being full time as a wedding and event planner. And I've owned my own business, uh, which is called Creative Concepts by Lisa. And I've owned that business for 12 years and two weeks. And um, that's awesome. And, and you can understand this. I, on my website, it talks about how putting on a wedding is like putting on a show. Absolutely. I have two lead characters 
and I have the supporting cast, which is my wedding party, and I have the audience, which is the guests, and there's sounds and lights, and I'm still calling cues all night long on my little headset. Um, so it's the same reality, but I open and close in one night, right? So it's got to be good. You know, you got to right. And what's weird about all this parallel lives is in my theater world, I was always surrounded by people of different religions, ethnicities, and sexual orientations. As a wedding planner, I'm surrounded by all the same things. And I became a justice of the peace for the state of Connecticut. So I was sworn in and I get to marry people as well. And I got to tell you, when I get to marry a couple that has different religious ideologies, or when I get to marry a couple that is LGBTQ, I'm like sobbing uncontrollably because here I am. I was married when I was 25 uh, to a, a, a young man named Al, and he was wonderful, but he wasn't my right young man. And um, yeah. I don't remember that. Yeah, Maybe. no, it was very quick because okay. I was divorced when I was 26. Okay, that's why I didn't know. Yeah, so you just missed it. And I'm still waiting for Mr. Wright. So as I sit here and I wait for him to show up in my life, how can I not be so wonderfully loving and accepting of anybody who can find somebody in this crazy world that wants to spend time with you side by side? And there's no reason to judge. There's no reason to uh, put your own beliefs on somebody else in that respect. I mean, again, the quote from, you know, the quote from Hamilton or, or from Lin-Manuel was, you know, love is love is love. And it really is. And why that bothers people boggles my mind. I don't understand. No one's asking you to love somebody you don't want to love. So what's the, what's the point? Right? right. Nobody's making you get, as they love to say, gay married. Yes. Yes. And, you know, I... Right now, with everything going on in the world and all of these things coming back to the judicial system again, I look back at the couples that I have personally pronounced as married for life, as either two men or two women, and I don't ever want to have to look at them and say, that's been nullified. I mean, that would kill my soul. It is not okay. It's just not okay. Yeah, I, oof, I don't. I hear you. I don't feel like I want to open that <laughs> door in this podcast. Yes. I will definitely discuss that in a future yes. podcast. Uh, but your point of view is really, I, I really appreciate it. Um, and I, I love that you took your career and morphed it. You know, much like you know, I was a stand-up. I was an actor. I still occasionally do these things. I still use my performance skills as an attorney when I'm in yes, court. Absolutely. I, I'm, I'm not a performer in court, but I can read the room. And sometimes if I'm in front of a panel of three judges and I have a thought about a joke, I will sometimes bring it and it will really work out great. And sometimes I'll have a thought about a joke and I can read the room and go, no, 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 don't do right, that. Right. Well, uh, it's the same as a justice of the peace. I'm performing with the couple and I love doing it. I'm able to bring my entire theatrical background to that moment, whether it's being able to articulate a poem that they have selected or really, you know, really it's a performance and people love my ceremonies. I'm really happy to say, and um, they enjoy it because it's, it's captivating and it's not dry. You're also exuberant and enthusiastic. And who doesn't want that at their wedding? Right, right. I think that you're a cheerleader. Yeah. I mean, look, you were a cheerleader, right? Or it's something. True. And it is true. you bring that as a part of you to everything you do. But now the transition here in this moment is look, we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. I, as an attorney, have represented lots of small business people impacted, including some very high-end wedding photographers here in New York. I mean, people who make a considerable amount, and, and appropriately so, 
Yes. As wedding photographers and special occasion photographers who've had to shift how mm -hmm. they're doing what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, and this is a political discussion. It really is because we have a current administration and a, a governmental situation where people who are impacted, who suddenly just don't have an income, are not getting help from the government. I, I'm sorry, I don't want to upset you, but I feel like it would be inappropriate of me to not bring this up. So Absolutely. what's going what's going on with you and your business? Yeah, so, you know, again, having been in business for 12 years, I've been really fortunate as a sole proprietor, my business has grown every year, which is all you can ask for. And this year we would have had 25 events. And that would primarily have been weddings. We had a couple of mitzvahs, a couple of golf outings, you know, a couple smattering of here and there. The sure. And we ended up having five events um, and three of them were brand new. They hired us within three to four weeks of the wedding. Because of COVID, they had had cancellations at venues, cancellations. One couple had two different cancellations and was now going into it for a third time mm. and just couldn't do it by themselves anymore. And um, I will tell you, financially, our industry is ruined. Again, a parallel to if I was in theatrical performance still, these two industries cannot exist by social distancing. These two industries cannot exist by wearing a mask. I can wear a mask as a vendor, but if I can't keep a bow tie on a groomsman all night long, how am I keeping a mask on a groomsman all night long? It's oh. inconceivable, right? So we do our best. I, I would have had events this year on Long Island, New York City, Westchester County all over Connecticut, Newport, Rhode Island, and all the way up to Maine. By the way, I, I want to point out to mm. people who don't understand, who don't run a business or don't understand the way certain businesses work, it's not just you that's affected. You mentioned right. venues. Every one of those venues gets rent rental money. They may yes. have had a deposit, but I, it, depending on who their lawyers are and how it gets handled, they either have to give it back or they don't get the full balance paid every one of those places hires a dj there's mm -hmm. there's bartenders there's wait staff there's the catering companies and the companies maybe that provide chairs and flatware and china yep, the rentals so you've there's got printing you've got it's everything i mean right on down to i would be going to pick up her wedding gown but now her wedding because of COVID, has been moved to next year and now these little bridal boutiques have to decide, do we have enough storage to store 500 dresses for girls that couldn't have a wedding? And now am I liable for that dress for another year? What if something happens to my store? So do we tell the girl that they have to come pick up their dress and store it themselves? Or do we hold on to it for them? I mean, it is endless the domino effect that this has created for just an unsurmountable number of businesses. And these are all accompanied by legal issues, like what you're saying. Each yes. one of these, you know, I've I represented a photographer and you know, having to take a look at how do we settle their disagreement with someone who wants their money back and but you right. signed the contract. And is this a force majeure is this an act of god is this yes i mean did anyone anticipate a pandemic and the reality is well yes according to information we have now in january the president knew it was coming mm -hmm. and took no action right and right. so you know what do you do when you're supposedly the largest greatest country in the world and you tout yourself as such Mm -hmm. But, you you know, the leaders of this country, uh, I'll just call them the Republican leaders, um, mm -hmm. do not think, you know, they're, they consider it socialism to provide health care to people because they're out of work. Right. You, know, you and I probably both know people, in, I know people in Europe mm -hmm. who 
are not worried about their health care. So that's one less thing to deal with. But, you know, and thank God, you know, my wife is still working and I'm covered under her insurance thanks to a union that worked right. hard for that. But right. I have an appreciation. I have what's called empathy. Yes. Yes. And I understand people who aren't as fortunate as me. Right. What's, well, what, is, what is lacking? I know I'm sort of taking us off the rails here. No, what is lacking? Yeah, it, the, the word empathy, I know that we've been throwing that word around a lot this year because, again, I, I feel that our, our leadership is not showing enough, if any. Um, but, you know, you're, you've hit something on the head again, which is people don't understand when you are a sole proprietor, a subcontractor, a gig worker, those are all phrases we use every day, that you don't have coverage on your health care. I mean, I pay for my own health care out of pocket. It's almost $800 a month. And that's not even the best health care. That's just like what I could afford health care. And that's so like if God, I like to call it God forbid health care. Yes. And there's a huge deductible and, you know, you just kind of knock on wood. But, um, you know, I to go back to your point about contracts when this whole thing started my clients called me as their wedding planner because i referred them all of those vendors that are now working on their wedding and five of our weddings completely canceled they decided you know we're going to go to town hall get married and the heck with all this craziness i love them for doing that but the next question from them was how do we get all our all our money back so now they're coming to me almost as their legal advisor to say, well, here's the contract you signed. It has a non-refundable deposit. No, the force majeure is not talking about a pandemic. Therefore, you want to fight the people for your money back because they never mentioned pandemic in the contract. And at that point, I just go, I'm a musical theater major. <laughs> I got nothing to do. Like, I mean, that's so outside my scope of knowledge. Um, well, let me back up then. Let me ask you this. Yeah. Um, I, you're in Connecticut. I'm not licensed to practice in Connecticut, and I don't know enough about the law of Connecticut. But right. I represent people in other states, and mm -hmm. uh, they come to me to help them create contracts or review already existing contracts. So when you started your business, Yes. You must have created contracts or, and who did you use an attorney? I did. So that again, having a father that it was an attorney, I knew as soon as I started my business, there were two very important first steps. Talk to an insurance agent, make sure actually three steps. I went online and became an LLC immediately. And just for people who don't know, that means a limited liability company. I'm just going to sidetrack us for a second. Yes. So hold that thought. So traditionally, a sole proprietor, um, when somebody owns their own business, unless they have some other arrangement, they are personally liable for everything that happens in that business. So if they own a house like Lisa, and she does, they do something that affects the business, then that business gets sued. All the assets of the business can be taken, but if that's not enough, they can go after Lisa's assets. So what you wanna do in that situation to protect yourself is to separate the assets, make your company an, an individual that has nothing to do with your personal assets. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, by the way, this is not legal advice. This is something you can look up. I am not creating an attorney relationship with anybody here. But I will say this. For years, the way you would do that would be to incorporate, to become a corporation. Therefore, and by doing that, the business was its own fiefdom, its, its corporation. And if anything happened, they could, someone who sued the business could only recover what was in the business and couldn't attack you personally. After a long time, they then, they, legislatures and, and legal entities created something called a limited liability company, which is structured differently. I am not going to teach people about this. They can go on the internet or, yeah. or talk to a lawyer because there are tax implications in these things. It's, it, you know, there's law school classes on corporations, okay, folks? So this is just to give you a sense of what Lisa's talking about. This is, a, you know, I'm a lawyer, so I might as well throw this at you. All right, so Lisa, 
So you said you had three things you wanted to do. Yep. One was so to- one was I became a limited liability corporation. Got it. At that point, I reached out to my local attorney here in Connecticut, not in New York City, which I do have sitting there too. But because I was in Connecticut, I reached out to Connecticut and I had a contract created by my attorney. And every year I look at that and I create updates based on what happened in the last year. What have we learned? Mm -hmm. Um, Which I'll go back to in one second. And then the third thing I did was I reached out to my insurance agent and I said, I'm starting a business. What are the different types of insurance I need for the business, which of course is separate from my personal homeowner's insurance, et cetera, et cetera. The listeners, Lisa behaved in what adults like to call a responsible manner. You didn't just wing this crap. You didn't just say, I'm going to start a business and hope that Jesus, it all works out. Um, You did. You were very responsible. And this is, by the way, something that we as a society want to reward, you would think. Okay. You would think. Yeah. So, you know, when the pandemic happened, I'm thinking I've been in touch with my insurance agent every step of this 12 years in business. I've been in touch with my attorneys every step of this 12 years in business. I'm doing everything I'm supposed to be doing. And when the shutdown happened, organizations like the SBA, the Small Business Administration, organizations like the Women in Business here in Connecticut, everybody was having these Zoom meetings. What do you need to know as a small business owner? And um, it was definitely an eye opener because some of the people that came onto these Zoom calls as legal professionals or as insurance professionals were saying, great, you've done all this, but nowhere in your force majeure do you ever mention a pandemic. So technically, you're kind of poop out of luck. So if you get in front of the right arbitrator or the wrong arbitrator, they could say to you, you got to give all the money back because it's it's not the client's fault and you didn't mention it. So there's been a lot of confusion a lot of, I'm sure, misinformation out Absolutely. there, business owner. Um, and I will say to you again, I now have an appointment next week to redo my contracts yet again, because now's the time to do that, you know? Yeah, I mean, eventually this will be over, and hopefully you will ride out the storm. Mm-hmm. And... By the way, I don't have a legal opinion about what the force majeure clause should or shouldn't, how it will be interpreted. That's up to the courts. And I don't think at this point, by the way, it's really clear. There's, you know, people need to read and they have to understand that the law is not, it's all in these books and you open up the right book and the answer is there. It's far less clear than that, people. Um, and it's hot. lawyers hate to give a yes or no answer to things they are not really clear about. So what we end up doing is we become uh, super cautious and write in too much just in case is general. But, you know, there, there's also one of the problems lawyers face on contracts is you can make it absolutely impossible for your client to get sued by having them never enter into any deal which is not what your clients want. So you have, it's, it's like that old adage, ships are safest in a harbor, but that's not what ships were built for. So you have to find that middle ground of keeping your ship or client as safe as possible, but also letting them out of port. Yeah, and you know, we, I, have, I happen to have a lot of clients that are attorneys. Um, a lot of my couples- I'm are- so sorry. And and again, one of the reasons that they hire an event planner designer is because they're very busy during the day. They don't have time to deal with the minutia that is wedding planning. And um, it is always funny because as attorneys, they are more than happy to give their opinion on my contract while they're signing it. And at first, the first time that happened, I was really taken back. And then I went, you know what, if they're a good client, they're giving you good feedback and you should take that information and then go back to your own attorney and go, hey, you know, 
this information just came to me from this couple. They both happen to be attorneys. Should we make some adjustments? And of course, then the attorney goes, no, it's my contract. I wrote it. But it's at least, you know, it's interesting. And I've learned to take that feedback, uh, you know, with a grain of salt, for sure. Well, sadly, or excellently, attorneys are, are human beings, which is why I'm a big fan of actually using a real attorney, even if it's not me. Uh, yeah. You know, there's a lot of people that go online and use online services that are mm -hmm. less expensive and there's a reason they're less expensive, folks. Right. I'm not going to name names. Yeah, especially small businesses. They, it's the very first thing they do. They go onto those websites and they go, ooh, I have a contract or ooh, I did this. But no one has sat down and talked through it with them. And I think that that was, that's, that, that to me is kind of what I'd call a rookie mistake. <laughs> Get somebody that you can talk to one-on-one, -on -one, for sure. Thanks. I, you, you are an excellent spokesperson for my profession. I appreciate that. No worries. Um, so, you know, uh, I'm just going to get right personal. Are you dating at all? Um, no, um, not only does Connecticut have no professional theater to work on, but apparently there's no single men. <laughs> well, Connecticut's a big so, state. I, I think I found that the men in Connecticut are, they lived in Manhattan, had careers, got married, had the two kids and went, ooh, we can't do this in Manhattan anymore. Let's move to Connecticut. So they still go to New York to work every day, mm. but the family's in Connecticut. So I'm seeing a lot of married, you know, families in Connecticut. Um, and not a, and a lot of men that are still trying to get the college girls, which I think they need to stop that already. Wow, I um between my many marriages, I did <laughs> date younger at one point, and talk I'm about shocked, a Eric. I'm absolutely <laughs> shocked. <laughs> talk about a, talk about a rookie mistake. <laughs> oh, that was swinging a miss. I mean, they're fun. you know, it's a great ego stroke and uh, at times. Yes. Um, but, you know, I, I have some uh, coaches in my life who, who talk about dating, among other things. Their names are Ariel and Shia Kane. I love them. And they have this philosophy of dating, which really helped me uh, decide on uh, being in relationship with my wife, Holly. Um, and... I was dating several people at the time. I was you know, getting divorced from my second wife and I dated a variety of people. And when I say a variety of people, Lisa, as I talked about before, I mean a variety of people, <laughs> ages, sexes, whatever. Yes, right. And I decided rather than just looking at how hot or not people were or other various criteria, I, the criteria I ended up using was how do I feel when I'm with them? Absolutely correct. I, I appreciate that. For me, um, I clearly love to laugh. And I absolutely live to make other people laugh. Um, it's like a pat on the back moment. If I can make you laugh, I've done, I've done my good deed for the day. We have that in common. Yeah, absolutely, which is another reason why I adore you. And um, it's one of the, I do, I do. Um, Thank you those things where I, you know, there's, there was growing up, you were always told you can't choose your family, um, you know, but you can choose your friends. And the older I get, I've kind of decided, well, none of that is true. I can choose whoever I want to surround myself with family or otherwise. So I've looked in this world for people that not only appreciate me for my hard work ethic, um, but accept me for being the kooky, crazy person that I am. I mean, you may remember, I love a good pratfall. And during <laughs> theatrical rehearsals, I would fling myself onto a hard stage at any point just to get everybody's attention or, you know, rejuvenate the moment. I do that at a wedding. You know, I'll be with the bride and groom and I'll throw myself on the ground to be funny because there's too much anxiety, the family's getting crazy. 
I don't do it in front of the wedding guests. I do it in front of my clients to make them relax. You have less distance to fall. I can't do that. <laughs> it's like the Empire State falling. You know, it reminds that people of 9-11 if I go over. It's yeah, not good. But, no, and, that, no. and you also, I mean, you're a skilled acrobat or a tumbler or something. You, yes, and it's yeah. not a skill that I possess. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but with respect to the how do you feel when you're with somebody, Yes. When I like, I would notice after a time, oh, I feel old with this person, or I feel I, I can't find the words, or I'm awkward. And then I was always my funniest, my sexiest, my most handsome. When, and I don't, by the way, I, you know, it's not like I go around going, yeah, I'm handsome and sexy. That's not, you know, that sounds like something my cat used to think about himself. I don't have a cat now, but I had a cat named Handsome, right. and he walked like I am handsome. He was a sexy beast. Is he what was you're exactly of the two of us. He probably would have gotten all right. That that sentence was going to end badly. So, yes. um, so but my point is, I consistently really liked myself, and ultimately won my life with Holly. And I think there's definitely more than one guy out there who's looking for you. So oh, we'll yeah, we'll see. I think. And I think, um, you know, again, you know, you've become an adult, if you want to say that, or, or true to yourself when it's okay, it's okay to be with somebody and yet it's okay if you're not. And yeah. It doesn't make you any less awesome because I'm going to say I'm freaking awesome is what I'm saying. I mean, I not only love the arts, but I will talk football till the day is done. So I, you know, there's lots. There's lots here, but um, there's- Remind people of your website, because I know it. Uh, this yeah. is for business, but just in case there's a guy who's like, this Lisa <laughs> sounds like somebody I need to spend time with. What's your website? Yeah, so I am Creative Concepts by Lisa, ct.com. That's a mouthful, but I'll just say it again. It it's creative, creative Concepts by Lisa, CT, it's all one word, and the CT stands for Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, dot com. Yes, and you can find me on all the social medias at CCBLCT. By the way, I think it's socials media, but... Is that um, what it is? I, no, I'm I, joking. I, it's, that's, that's literally where I go, I'm old, I don't care anymore. <laughs> no, it's like instead of attorney generals, it's attorneys general. Really? So you yeah. two things today. Uh, thank, I'm glad I was able to help. We're going to okay. be wrapping it up soon. I just, um, is there anything I didn't ask you that you think I should have? I mean, for instance, you're a woman running a company and that's absolutely perfect. But yes. do you still run into problems being a woman navigating this effed up world running a company? Believe it or not, even being an event planner, which is clearly more of a female-driven market, um, when it comes to sometimes talking to perhaps father of the bride, um, it does sometimes become a moment of, he's going to ask the same question he just asked me to the DJ, who's primarily male. Even though the DJ has a very limited role. Yes. And, but he will get the same answer from the DJ, but he'll feel better about it because he got it from the DJ. Do you think that's generational? Because you did say father of the bride. And um, do you have I hope do. that that's dying out? I, I, I do, I do, I do, I do, as the lion would say in um, The Wizard of Oz. Um, I think that grooms are becoming more open to having discussions with me but I do think dads are still a little bit happier talking to a man in, in charge. Well, I couldn't be happier than talking to you, whether you're Me in charge too. or not. Yes. Thank <laughs> Lisa Antonekia, thank you so much for being on Is That Really Legal with Eric Rubin. I have had a blast. I have too, Eric, and when this madness is over, I am gonna come to Brooklyn and we will eat, drink, and be merry. And I can't wait to meet your beautiful bride. Thank you. Wasn't Lisa amazing? Talented, brilliant, fun, 
and right now in the middle of all this pandemic stuff, so important to hear from a voice that a lot of us are not familiar with, a woman running her own business, dealing with the problems of the pandemic in a way not many other people are. Please continue to listen to this podcast. We continue to have excellent guests. And uh, please let me know what you're thinking about it. Uh, write, go to isthatreallylegal.com. Leave comments on the board. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, check out Abe's and Muffins. They're fantastic. They're allergen friendly and so yummy. You won't believe it. You don't have to believe it. Try them. Please take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And vote. Vote. Wear a mask. Vote. Wear a mask. I don't know what else to tell you. Hang in there, people. We're going to get through this together. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Take care.